Hey, New Life family, welcome to the weekly podcast. We want to take a moment to say thank you so much for listening. We hope this message encourages you and helps you in some way today move forward in your relationship with Christ and others. We pray God blesses you wherever you are today. Now enjoy the message. I want you to understand that even even through this, the Lord has opened some doors where Pastor Timon and myself have been able to get acquainted with and meet many, many of the people in the neighborhood and have had conversations. And one of those people that we've had several conversations with now is actually just a couple doors down. And for the lack of better terminology, the bike club. So, so every once in a while, you'll see a You'll see some really, I'm talking about some sweet-looking rides riding through here. Tim and I noticed them several months ago, and we was like, who is these people on these bikes, and where do they, what job do they have? Because, I mean, they are decked out. They are nice. And so stuff like that kind of catches Tim and I's attention. Well, it wasn't but maybe about six or seven weeks later, uh, Pastor Tim got to meet the leader. They don't really, they just come here, and it's a place that they can gather and and barbecue and things like that. But Pastor Tim got to meet the leader of that. And then just through all this that's been happening, we've gotten a little bit better acquainted with him and just some of the other people in the neighborhood. And I can see where God is making, I don't know what it's going to look like in the end, but I can see where God is making connections. If nothing else, the connections of the church and the presence of the church is going to be made known in this neighborhood. And Here's what happens. Here's what happens. The enemy tries to move in one area to kill, steal, and destroy, to bring down, to wear out, to tear down the hearts and minds of people, to demolish things that, that have been set aside and set apart for God and the working of his spirit. And he thinks he wins when he does things like that. But what happens is God, when the people of God begin to cry out for the spirit of God to move, God then begins, begins to take something that was meant for turmoil and meant for weakness, and he begins to open doors, and he begins to make connections and the presence of the community or the presence of the church begins to be known in the community and what the devil meant for a tearing down God uses for a building up and Tim and I have just been prophesying that and and there's been several several conversations now with several of the people in the community and they are just as they are in fact they are probably more distraught than we are because we understand everything is under the control of God and they are thinking in their own wisdom and own understanding and so they're ready to beat somebody up <laughs> like I'm not joking we had a few the other day they were literally they were literally chasing people around the neighborhood trying to like give them the verbal shakedown trying to figure out what was happening because they they understand the uh They understand the importance of what it is to have a church in their community. And so even though they themselves may not be born-again believers, I believe God has softened their heart to the church. And they have eyes and ears in the community to look out for the church. And so I thank God for that. Turn with me in your Bibles. I'm not going to read it right away, but my text scripture is going to be from the book of Daniel chapter 10. And I'm going to continue on. If you remember, we had been doing uh, several weeks. Let me get my clock ready just so that I can say I'm halfway paying attention to it. (coughs) 
I got a new phone. We had been going through uh, the book of Hebrews and talking about being anchored in Christ. And we had, I, had, I had taught because I was just sensing the moving of that. And, and I explained all that to you. And we haven't, we haven't uh, done away with that. We're going to continue on with that in a, in a couple of weeks. <clears throat> but I, had, I told you this, that I had sensed in a prayer meeting several weeks ago now, I was, I was literally up here on the platform. It was on a Wednesday night, and I was just praying. I was just interceding with everybody else, everybody else that was here that night. And as I was praying, I just, uh, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord was in the building, and it was a great prayer meeting. But it, it was at some point as I was just praying and kind of, kind of done with my list, you know, the things that I kind of normally pray over. I was just uh, worshiping with, with the worship that was going on and just kind of praying in the spirit, walking back and forth and just praying whatever come to mind. And it is as a moment, just, just the, I don't know, just a different level of the presence of God came at that moment as, as everybody else was continuing to pray as well. And he, the spirit, the Holy Spirit dropped something in my spirit and began to reveal at that moment when, when the church was praying, it was like the, the Lord just kind of did a little peekaboo for a minute for me and just downloaded into my spirit what I preached on last week about the wrestling of God and that we was coming across uh, this place of transition. And I, and I walked you through that in the book of Genesis. If you don't have that, that or if you wasn't here, if you want to re-listen to that, uh, Tom told me that that got put up on the website of the podcast, something like that, so you can go back and listen to that. And the Lord was just showing me that as, as a church, we were in a season of a crossing over. And uh, in that, he, he detailed through the life of Jacob how Jacob was uh, at a place. He, he had been living and he had, been, uh, he had, he had already stolen the blessing of, of his father. He had already deceived his brother. And because of all that, there was this family turmoil happening. And so he leaves his, his mother says, go live with my brother and Laban. And he goes and he does that. And, and through the span of about 21 years, he is uh, being a shepherd and he is getting married and he's having kids and all these things. He's, he's accumulating things and, and the favor of the Lord is on him. And his, and he is uh, in, in some ways, not in all ways, but in some ways, he was actually walking out the assignment of his life because he had been prophesied over even before him and Esau were born of what he was going to be, that there was two nations in Rebekah's womb and that, that they were going to contend for one another and they were going to uh, combat one another. And they were, even though they were being born as two individuals, they were going to turn into two nations and those two nations were always going to be at conflict, but that the younger would rule over the older. And so it was already prophesied what Jacob would be and who he was going to do. But what happened in the first chunk of his life is he knew the prophecy and he heard his father and his mother talking about that, but he took things into his own hands and he began to try to try to do things his own will, his own way. And the, the object was to get to where God had for him. So his I don't want to say his motive was pure, but the, the destiny part was pure. 
But the way he was getting there was not righteous. It was not the way God had intended. And how many knows if God speaks a word over your life, you don't have to, you just have to keep your own heart right. You don't have to take things into your own hands and do it. Are y'all with me this morning? We're just doing just a, a moment of review so we can get to where we're going. And I think for the body of Christ, we have forgotten that God is a mighty God. And no matter what battle we face and no matter what we face in the physical realm, no matter even what we face in the spiritual realm, if God has spoke a word, he's going to hover over that word to make sure that it comes to pass. Now, we may walk through some things, and we may have to battle in the Spirit, and we may have to lay a hold of some things. I'm not going to say it's going to drop in your lap, but you don't do what Jacob did, and you grab a hold of it and just kind of run with it and do your own thing. And he did that for 21 years, and then it got to the place where he comes over, and you can find all this uh, in Genesis, that he got to this place called the place of the fort of Jabbok. And that word Jabbok right there means a place of emptying out. And what happens is, is he was, the Lord was leading him into a place because he was divided in two camps. He had two wives and the, each wife had some, some maid servants and, and he had kids on both sides and, and he had two camps or in other words, you could say he had two families. But in this process of emptying out himself and it's where we find the amazing account where he wrestled with the incarnate Jesus Christ. And as he is emptying out himself, the purpose of the wrestling, the purpose of what he was walking through in the natural was because God didn't want him to fulfill uh, his destiny and his calling. He didn't want to do the things that God had called even his father Isaac and his grandfather Jacob or Abraham. He, he couldn't bring those things to pass as long as there was a dividing of the house. And, and Jacob walked in, in this weird structural unit of being okay with two families. But God was bringing God was bringing a unity, but the unity could only take place when Jacob emptied out of himself. And this is when he wrestles with Jesus. The, the word of God says that it was the angel of the Lord, and we understand that it was the incarnate Christ. And it was during that moment that he, that he lays a hold of Jesus, and he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And it's in that moment that he pulls a new identity out of Jesus for himself. And Jesus himself begins to prophesy over him. And he says, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. And he says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but now it shall be called Israel. For you have wrestled both with God and with man. And that new name came a new identity. And that new identity came a new unity. And it's during this process, when all of this is happening, that he gets word that Esau has now set out with, it was either, four, I think it was 400 men, 400 of his servants, and he was coming to look for Jacob. Don't you know, when you begin to set your mind to empty out all of yourself, and when you begin to set your posture towards the things of God, the enemy is going to rise up and he's going to set an army against you, whether it's a physical army or whether it's a spiritual army, whether it's a financial army, whether it's a health crisis army, 
The enemy will stir up something to set apart because his purpose, the enemy's purpose, is to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jacob said, I'm not leaving this place. If I have to go through this place, I'm not leaving this place until you bless me. And Jacob literally pulled out a new identity from the Lord. And by doing that, Jesus called him Israel because he wasn't just renaming a person. He was renaming a family. And he wasn't just renaming a family. That family would eventually, over several years, turn into a nation. And so one man emptying out changed the identity of a nation. One man in emptying out and laying a hold of God changed the identity of his family. Do not take it lightly when God says to intercede for your family. Because I'm telling you, one person has the authority to lay hold of God and begin to pull out from Jesus a new identity for your family. Don't take it lightly and you say, well, Pastor Mika, I feel like I come up here and I, I pray and I intercede. I come on Wednesdays and I pray or I pray in my home and it just seems like nothing is happening. I'm telling you, don't take it lightly when God lays on your heart to keep praying and interceding for your family. Because one person can change the identity of an entire family. And when the identity of an entire family gets changed, then it just begins to morph out and strengthen out and pour out even beyond that. And so we see that when he called him Israel, in other words, he was saying, Jacob, you're not going to operate by your own operating systems anymore. You're going to operate, you're not going to operate by your own opinions anymore. You're not going to be orchestrated by your own thoughts and opinions anymore. You're not going to put your wants and your desires and your the way you think it should happen. You're not going to put them on the seat of authority. But that emptying out is part of bringing those things down. And that's when you pull that new identity out. And he begins to change your operating systems. It's like when you get an upgrade in the technology because certain Operating systems can only handle certain things. But if you want to do more, you have to change the operating systems. Are y'all following me? And we have to do that in our spirit sometimes. When we cry out for more of God, God says, I want to give you more. It's my heart's desire to give you more. But in giving you more, I have to take you through a process of you emptying out of yourself so that I can change your operating systems. Because if I don't do it, you're going to take what I give you and you're going to put certain things in priority that should not be in priority. And so we see that this is happening, and he tells, he tells Jacob that now you're going to be, you're not going to be identified by who you're married, and you're not going to be identified by how many sheep you have. Let that sink in. Because at that point in time, he was known in the land because of how much sheep he had accumulated. But Jesus, when he starts wrestling with Jesus, Jesus starts saying, Jacob, I don't want you known by how many sheep you have. I don't even want you known by how many sons you have. I want you known and identified by the fact that you've wrestled with me and you have won. 
How would they know that? Because he touched his hip and his walk changed from going in. He walked one way going in to the crossing over and he walked a completely way different walking out. He walked into the crossing over probably with a little bit of a contentious heart. He walked into the crossing over place probably with a little bit of a haughty spirit. Y'all ain't with me today. He walked in thinking he knew exactly what God was telling him and prophesying over his life. But when he got through and he walked out, he was walking with a humility of spirit. He was walking, leaning on his staff. He had a different walk about him and his walk changed his vocabulary. Because now, even if he wanted to physically fight Esau, he didn't have the physical capabilities to do it. Now he had to rely completely on God. And I'm here to tell you that some things that are going on, and I'm speaking this not just over our church, but as the body of Christ, some of the things that are going on in the natural is God is touching your spiritual hip so that you'll quit fighting the battles in your own finances, in your own marriage, in your own family, in your own strength. And he wants you to be to the place where you rely 100% completely on him. Why? Because it takes faith to please God. It's not that God doesn't want us to use our treasure and our talent and our giftings and our abilities. He absolutely does because he's the one that give them to us. And we are to use them for the furtherance of his kingdom. He just don't want that to be the thing that thrusts you in your walk. He wants the spirit of humility. And so he had this crossing over. And because he struggled with God, Israel was hidden in Jesus. But Jacob had to wrestle to break through into it. His promise was hidden in Jesus, but Jacob, the carnal man, had to wrestle to get the spirit out of Jesus and into him. You and I do the same thing. It's just not in the natural. We wrestle in the spirit through an altar. Paul would call it crucifying yourself daily. We don't hear too many sermons about that anymore because that don't make a good sermon series. Come and learn how to crucify your flesh. Part 1 through 12. We don't like sermon series like that. But what, and I'm, I'm not going to talk on Jacob. I'm going to actually talk on Daniel today, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to marry each other, and you're going to see kind of some similarities. But it wasn't until that moment that God went ahead, fixed Esau's heart. They were reconciled. But one of the things that happened is even through reconciliation, Jacob went one way because it says Jacob went back to Bethel, and Esau went to his homeland where he was from, Seir, I think. Jacob went back to Bethel, which means the house of God. Jacob went back to Bethel where he built an altar to God. Jacob went back to the place where his grandfather, Abraham, had an encounter with God. And it was at that place that he, dig, that he dug a well that is still there to this day known as the Jacob's Well. And it produces actual water from 
and, and all this time it has been producing water. One man changed a family, changed a nation, and is still being impacted in 2023. That's a long time, y'all. It's still being impactful today. And as I was preaching, and I'm leading up to Daniel 10 right here. As I was preaching, it was like the Holy Spirit just, and I even said it out loud. I was like, I, I think I'm just having this spiritual epiphany right now. Because the time that that had happened, understand, I told you that the angel of, or that the Spirit of the Lord dropped that into my spirit several weeks ago when I was praying on a Wednesday night. And then it was when I was delivering the sermon last Sunday that it was just like a light bulb came off in my head because all of that time was the, the span of about 21 years, give or take a few months. So about 21 years. And in just a few short weeks, like two weeks, I think, uh, Pastor Tim and I will have been pastors of new life for 21 years. And I've been telling you that I have sensed that we are at the threshold of a crossing over and that God is realigning and reshaping and it's, and, it's, and it's been a struggle and it's been a wrestle. How many has been in a bit of a wrestling match? You don't have to say what, well, but just a bit of a wrestling match. And you're sometimes, listen, it's one thing when you're wrestling against the demonic forces, but when you're wrestling against your own mind, y'all ain't talking to me today. Don't leave me out here like I'm the only one crazy. But when you start wrestling with your own emotions, when you start wrestling with your own will and your own desires, and you're having to pray prayers that Jesus prayed, and you say, God, not my will, but thine be done. And, and we're not physically going through the torment that Jesus did, but maybe in our mind, maybe in our emotion, it just feels like there's just this breakdown that's happening. And you're trying to press in and you're trying to pull what you don't understand. It's in those moments that God is reorienting and realigning your heart and your soul, your operating system to align up to what he's prophesied over your life even a long time ago. It's in those moments that that begins to happen and take place. And so there's been this crossing over, and this 21 thing has just been impactful to me. In fact, normally I don't say different things that I do, but I've been in a 21 day of just saturating my mind, my heart with the New Testament of the Word. 21 days where all I'm doing is reading the New Testament. I have other Bible things that I'm doing, but I've set aside a specific amount of time and I'm reading large chunks of the Bible so that in the matter of 21 days, I will have read through the entire New Testament because it's the washing of the water of the word that penetrates your heart, that penetrates. That's called, that's how we wrestle with the Lord in those moments. Because I'm expecting that when that season is up in my life, that there's going to be a level of authority. You see it in Jacob's life. That once he gets through that, and once he gets back to Bethel, he now, he's never done this before, y'all. Before all this, he, he is trying to... Uh, have conversations with his uncle. He's trying to have conversations with his servant. He's trying to pull and he's trying to argue with and he's trying to thrust and he's trying to push and all these things are happening in the natural. But it wasn't until after this point that now he begins, he's not doing it in the natural no more. Now he starts prophesying what God has said. Right. Remember,
remember now he's walking with the limp. And now because he can't strive in his, in his flesh anymore, now he starts uh, pressing in with his spirit. And how does he do that? He begins to bless his children. He begins to prophesy over them. He begins to prophesy even when famine hits. He begins to prophesy over them. Different things is happening. A switch is happening. Authority has taken place. He's not even carrying the Holy Spirit with him. He's just carrying the new identity. That's what happens when you and I go from dark to light, from death to life. The new believer being born again in our spirit, and our spirit comes alive. It's that same transition. But the bad thing about the modern age church is we have forgotten that we, even though we are born again and our spirit has come alive in us, very few of us are walking in the level of authority that Jesus has offered us. Because before Jacob walked in his authority, his life was like this. But when he went through that wrestling match and he emptied out himself and the promises of God became to fruition in his life, now he didn't have the empowering of the Holy Spirit like we do, but his life started doing this. Why? Because he started aligning himself up with the authority of God, with the word of God, and with the promises of God. And if we're... Last week I preached the whole sermon without looking at one note. I'm going to get to these notes. And if we will be honest with ourselves, the American church and our individual lives oftentimes looks like this. Y'all don't have to say amen because I know it's true because that's what my life looks like sometimes. This week I'm down. I'm who? I'm worn out. Who? I just can't fake it no more. Oh, I just can't do it no more. And then all of a sudden the Holy Ghost just kind of gives me a little umph or, or getting the presence of God or something happens and shoots me back up. And man, I'm burning for the Lord. I'm praying. I'm prophesying. I'm speaking in tongues. And the devil comes by and goes. <laughs> all of a sudden here he's like, woo, slide down that slide again. And if we're honest. Look back over your life in the last year. Look back over your life in the last five years. Tell me if your spiritual life doesn't look like this. Don't look at nobody. Just look at your own life. And it's not that God hasn't given you authority. It's because of two things. Either one, it's because of a lack of knowledge that you have the authority. Or two, you don't want to release control. Jacob had to release control. He had to confess to Jesus, I am Jacob. What does that mean? Up until now, I have had control. I have said where we're going to go. I have told my wives when we're going to move. I have said how many sheep we're going to have. I have told my uncle what I'm going to do. I've given him a contract. Up until now, I've told my father and my mother, you can follow the first half of Jacob's life. He was in control. Until God says, do you want the promises of God? Yes, I do. Do you want the compounding uh, mantle that started with Abraham, Isaac, and now you? It's been prophesied. Do you want that compounding mantle? Yes, I do. Then you got to go through this uh, crossing over this threshold called emptying out of yourself. And I'm telling you, as individuals, we've been here before. And I'm telling you, as a church company, we've been here before. 
But something happened in the middle of the crossover that we never came through on the other side. But I'm prophesying even here today, here and now, that this church is crossing over this threshold, and it will go forth. It will cross over, and it will become the things that God has wanted it to become. And it takes myself, but it also takes you. And we must know the authority that we walk in. Or else in a year from now, we're going to be drained, we're going to be tired, we're going to be wiped out, and everything is just is going to be like a, a mud bath has happened and, and washed the foundation out from under us. You have to walk in the authority of God. So here's the authority of God. Last week was the crossing over of, of that emptying out. Today, it's the crossing over into authority. Because things that's been happening, let me just say this. Things that's been happening in new life, things that's been happening in our services, things that's been happening over the last year or so. I don't know if you've realized this, but just in case you don't realize it, I'm going to tell you. We have awakened something and I don't say that fearfully, but I do say that respectfully. We have awakened something because there's some in here that has said, I'm going to keep pressing until I pull on what is in Christ. I'm going to keep my face set like Jeremiah said. I'm keeping my face toward Flint, and it doesn't mean I'm not struggling. It just means I shall not be moved. I'm being bruised. I'm being beat up. I'm facing some spiritual warfare. Some different things is happening. I'm facing some things in my body. I'm facing all these things. But I will not be moved. We, as the church, have awakened something that some of us don't even realize has been awakened. And that's why everything has been chaotic. I don't know if you realize this, but in the last... Uh, what month is this? Is this month five? So in five months, Tim and I have been pastor for 21 years. We've been pastors. In two weeks, it will be 21 years. And not one time in 21 years has this church ever been broken into, touched, vandalized, nothing. And in a matter of five months, it's been vandalized and broken into twice. We have awakened something. That's why you can't look at the natural. You have to start looking at it in the spirit and say, God, what are we crossing over into that the enemy is so afraid of and so determined to stop us that he is causing havoc in the atmosphere? I'm telling you, we've crossed, we've awakened something in the spirit. You can feel it when we come together on Wednesday night. Sometimes the presence of God on Wednesday night far exceeds what even happens on Sunday. There is something about the presence of God on a Wednesday night because we're just worshiping, we're just praying, we're just interceding. We are declaring that there are no wasted Sundays. And the presence of God has just been strong. It's been thick. You sense it. You feel it. I'm telling you, it's awakened something in the spirit realm. But we don't have to be fearful and we don't have to be afraid 
because of the blood of Jesus and the clothing of righteousness. You understand you can grow in holiness and you can grow in authority, but you can't ever grow in righteousness. You have all the righteousness you have right now that you ever can because he clothes you with his righteousness. You can't gain more righteousness. You can mature, you can become more holy, and you can grow in authority. But because of his righteousness, that means you have his cloak. That means you have his coat. You have, you have taken off filthy rags of self-righteousness, and he has put on you divine righteousness. And so when you are walking about, you don't see it. You don't feel it. You might even feel weak. But when the spirit realm sees it, all they see is the cloak of the righteousness one that stole the keys or that took back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. So you don't become, what's the word I'm looking for? You don't become audacious in the fact that you are have the power to cast out a demon. You don't look through the eyes of a filter that everything is, is demonic. You just have to stand on the rock of Jesus and know, as I begin to decree and declare and intercede and press for more and ask God for more authority, that at times there's going to be something that begins to stir up. And when that happens, I have the authority to rebuke and pull down. I have the authority to dispatch angels to fight on my behalf. Now that is not a perpetual place as we're going to see even in the life of Daniel. People should not live in a perpetual place of spiritual warfare. Y'all got so quiet on that one. Like nobody said nothing. I'm telling you as a pastor, there is not a perpetual season of spiritual warfare. But there are times when you so press into the promises of God that you awaken something in the spirit that an onslaught of an attack comes. But even then you have the authority to rebuke it, to send the angels to fight your battle in the spirit. And then as they take care of it, you just go back to declaring the word of God, to walking in victory, to walking in his authority. You read the life of Daniel. Daniel did not walk in a perpetual state of spiritual warfare. And he was stolen from his country and raised in, in a heathenistic country and still was fulfilling the assignment of God on his life. He was still praying three times a day. He was still worshiping and giving honor to God. And he wasn't even in the safety of his homeland, Jerusalem. He had been taken captive. But even in that realm where they served another God, where they had a huge statue, where they would have these big assemblies and they would come out and they would play music and they would have these, uh, all these celebratory moments, these ungodly unnatural things were happening, Daniel would just stand there because he had already made his peace with God. He had already spoke to God and he knew what his authority was. He knew what his assignment was in that place. And so he was able to fulfill the assignment of God even in the midst of the most craziest nation 
So when you see things happening on the news, even though it may bother you in the spirit, and even though you think, good Lord, what else could be happening? What else are we going to fight now? It seems like every week it gets worse and worse, amen? Just last week I was saying, surely this has got to be the end of the rope. And then, boop, nope, there's something new. So it grieves my spirit, and I don't like it. But even in the midst of all that chaos that we are facing even here in this nation, you can walk in spiritual authority, and you can fulfill the assignment of God on your life, and you can walk in the favor of God, and you can walk in the blessings of God. And yes, at times there will be something that you have to battle in the spirit, and you have to rebuke something, and you have to cast out something. And it may be having to be cast out of your own house. But you can walk in authority. And the reason we don't is because either one, it's a lack of knowledge. Or two, we have just so thought, "Uh, I'm just not going to disturb nothing. But I'm telling you, the reason when I say we, I'm not talking about we our church. I'm talking about we as a nation. The reason we are where we are today is because for decades now, the church has said, don't rock the boat. Y'all are quiet. The reason we are where we are today is because the church has been fine with good services in the church, but we didn't walk with a limp outside the church. We've danced in the church, but nobody's seen us walking with a limp outside the church. We prophesied. We could, we, could, we could have gifts of tongues and interpretations of tongues inside the church, but nobody heard us prophesying outside of the church and walking with a limp and giving good godly counsel and asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be in our families and in our lives. Look what it says here. I got to get to this. So there... So anytime you cry out for more, and we've been crying out for more, we've been asking for more, oftentimes what you'll see happening, what you see happening in the physical realm is indicative of what begins to happen in the spirit realm. So as things begin to happen in the natural, whether it's just an onslaught of things going wrong or it's an onslaught of people breaking into a building, or it seems like it's an onslaught of just one thing happening after another. I I could stand here and give you a list a mile long of the things in the last probably three weeks that Tim and I, just in our personal, this breaking down, that breaking down, this happening, that happening, and we're just like, what is happening? What is happening is we, the church, have stirred up something. We've stirred up something, and the enemy will use any fiery dart he can to detour you, to distract you, to wear you out, to get you to be like, if revival takes that, I can't do it. He will do everything under his power that he's been given power only by God to do to come against people who are pushing and pressing and praying for the spirit of revival. He will come against you in whatever capacity it takes for you to be like, whoo, that is too much. I can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. That's why when you offer to do something in the church and you begin to get into your assignment of God and begin to use your talents, that's why the enemy comes against you because he doesn't want you in your post. 
I believe it was Shay. I told her, I know she won't mind me saying this. I told her when I talked to her many months ago now about the discipleship class that, that she's been teaching on Sunday mornings. I told her, I said, now listen, you're saying yes, and you know that God has called you into more, and you're saying yes, and I'm thankful for that yes. But as your pastor, I want you to be aware that as soon as you start walking in this, you're going to get hit with something. Because the enemy ain't just going to let you do it. He's not just going to let you be planted in authority. You start moving into the gifts of the Spirit. You start moving into the spirit of revival. You start moving into the things that God has called you to, whether that's inside the church or outside the church, it doesn't matter. But when you start setting yourself up and positioning yourself to what God has called you to, the enemy's going to hit you. And this is where you have to have the knowledge of the information that I'm trying to impart to you right now. Because if he's hitting you, he's hitting you for a reason. Because the enemy don't fight where there's no spoil. The enemy doesn't fight churchgoers. The enemy fights people who are going to press into the authority and the glory of God. So oftentimes what you see happening in the natural is actually indicative of what is happening in the spirit. Somehow, some way. So you start pressing and you start stirring things up in the spirit realm. But I believe right here is where we are at in the spirit as we are crossing over. We are at this point of threshold. And anytime you go deeper in the word of God and you're going to grow in levels of spiritual authority, this word threshold, and, and I even noticed it back in 2020, and I'm not going to go into all that, but there was a threshold we crossed over. But I believe in 2023 here, us specifically, our church, I, be- I believe that was more global. This here is specifically for our church. There is a threshold of a crossing over into authority. And if you understand what the word threshold means, it's an entry point into something. A threshold of a door is called a threshold is because you're leaving one room and crossing over into another room. It's a place of an entry point, and you have to go through something to get to something. You can say all you want that I want to be outside, but until you're willing to get up and put some energy in walking through something, you're never going to reach the other side. And the moment that you say in the spirit, I will not be denied, I will not be sifted, I will not be shaken, my mind is set on Christ, my heart is going to burn for Christ. The moment you start that kind of language, You're going to have to walk through something. But here's the great point. That only lasts for a night. And joy comes in the morning. Because the threshold is a crossing over from someplace to someplace. And that is what is happening in the spirit. We are crossing over from someplace into someplace. Based upon the word of God, there are continual thresholds of spiritual authority. So there is always, the scripture calls it going from faith to faith, from glory to glory. So you don't have to stay where you're at. But understand this, at every level of threshold, at every level of crossing over, you will awaken something new in the spirit. And that's why some people get okay with where they are. 
And it's not that they're not born again. And it's not that they're not saved. They're just okay with where they are. Y'all are quiet. (laughs) But being okay with where you are does not release miracles. Being okay with where you are does not release deliverances. Being okay with where you are does not release the spirit of revival. You must walk in authority for that. And so I've been, even in these 21 days that I told you I was a part of, I've been praying about even a corporate time of maybe this summer where we corporately set aside 21 days just to saturate ourselves with the word of God. Because this is the kind of thing you can't fake it. You have to know the word of God in order to walk in the authority of God. Because the devil knows who's faking it. The devil, the enemy and the darkness and the evil world, they know. (laughs) Let me just, I, I often like to tell testimonies because I feel like it brings it home to us. There's a person I know, I'm not even going to mention her name. She goes to another church. But she's an amazing woman of God. I love her. I love her to death. But her family had went into this, uh, for a lack of better term, it was a bookstore, but it was, they didn't understand it at the time, but it was a New Age bookstore. And they sold crystals, and they sold New Age books, and they sold all these wigwam things and candles and whatever else that they have. And so, but they didn't realize what it was. They just thought it was a bookstore. And so they came across the gentleman who operated the bookstore, and he began to tell them things, things that they didn't know him, but he began to tell them things. And they're like, how does this guy know this? And it freaked them out. And so what they did was they went and got my friend, who's a a member of their family, come here, you have got to see this. This person, I don't know this person, this person talking to me about stuff that I ain't shared with nobody. He was the operator of the new age. He was a person who was into all the crystals and balls and heebie-jeebie stuff. My friend walks in with her family, and the guy says, oh, Welcome back, because well, he, he, he knew now some of the people there. Oh, welcome back. How is such and such? And he starts talking to him like he doesn't know him. I mean, like he knows him, that he's been a part of their family forever, and they're like, this dude is freaky. And in walks my friend. Got her little purse, because she's elderly. Walks in, got her purse. She's just looking around, and the man walks right up to her and says, I can't touch you. You have something around you. He called it an aura, but we know it's not an aura. We know it's called the glory and the authority of God because she's an intercessor and she don't put up with nothing in the, in the demonic realm. She didn't have to search him out. She didn't even have to ask a question. He went running up to her. He willingly, through a false authority, started through a familiar spirit, started speaking to her family who were supposed to be Christians. They were churchgoers, went every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every Friday night. They were churchgoers, but they didn't carry authority. They believed in Jesus and they loved Jesus. They were saved, but they didn't carry authority. 
But as soon as she walked in, <laughs> she said, I felt like Jesus stepped out of the boat and all the demonics just hit me. <laughs> when run up, said, I don't know nothing about you. I can't touch you because you have something around you. Oh, come on. Yeah. And the only thing he could do was he only could describe what he saw around her. I'm telling you, now, that happened for a specific purpose to shine a light on the heart of her family. We're not to go looking for that. But I'm telling you, when you start putting a deluge of the word of God on your heart, and you start pressing in for more of God, and you start educating yourself on the scripture and understanding that you have the authority of God in you, sometimes all you have to do is Walk in a quick trip. Sometimes all you have to do is walk in the family reunion. Sometimes all you have to do is walk into your job. And all of a sudden, what used to be normal now is not normal, and a shift has taken place, and now they don't just see you for you. Now, since the authority of God is in the place, they don't know it and they don't see it, but they can just feel something different. This is what happened to Daniel. This is what Daniel was doing in his life. In Daniel chapter 10, we're going to start reading in verse 11. Don't worry, I'm not going to give all of this to you. I feel y'all sweating right now. In, in the first part of chapter 10, it says that Daniel lifted up his eyes because he is, he is, encountered this vision that he's having, and he's describing it of this vision, but we don't have time to read through it all. But it says, and Daniel lifted up his eyes, and, and he begins to see the incarnate Jesus Christ, and he begins to describe it. I want to encourage you this week, open your Bible to chapter 10, around verses 4 through about 6 or 7, and he begins to describe this man that he saw, this man, in these, in these few verses right here, this is not just a messenger of God. This is not just Gabriel or Michael. This is not just an archangel. This is the man, the Christ. That's why Jesus called himself the Son of Man. And look at how he describes this certain man that he sees. And every part of what he describes and all the descriptions that are mentioned are highly important meaning. He talks about the linen robe, which represents Jesus' priestly humanity. He talks about the gold around the waist, which represents the kingship in divinity. He talks about him looking like the barrel, which represents his preciousness and his dignity and divine, full of life and his heavenliness and his loveliness, and he just keeps going on. He talks about his sound of uh, words coming out of his mouth and the fire in his eyes and the lightning on his face, and he begins to describe it, and all of it means something. You could literally spend 21 days in four verses and never scrape the... Because he is talking about the Christ, the Messiah. But then he begins to have this encounter with a heavenly host, a messenger, we would just say an angel of the Lord. And he starts having dialogue. And at some point he falls on his face and he's weakened. 
Why? Because this is the moment he is in spiritual battle. He is in spiritual warfare. And he's weakened by it. The angel of the Lord comes and touches him. And he receives strength enough to get up on his hands and his knees. And he says, oh, if if I'm going to do what you've asked me to do, I even have to have more strength. Now, you have to understand, by this time, Daniel is well into his aged years. Some scholars speculate that he might even been around 90, 91 years old. When God first starts using him, he's a young guy. And when he encounters the Lord, he can only see things in a visual way, like symbols, and he don't understand them. But now that he's walked with the Lord for some time, he has an encounter where he sees Christ. And he has a messenger of the angel of the Lord. And he starts speaking to him, dialogue, and he understands. When he's young, he sees it, but he don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to him. But now that he's walked with the Lord sometime and he's walking in a certain level of spiritual authority, he hears it. He don't have to see it anymore because now he's so sensitive he can just hear it. And he's being spoken to plainly. And he asks for the Spirit of the Lord to bring a refreshing to his body so that he can do all that he is called to do. And we start to see this dialogue that takes place. And it says this, put up 10, 11. And he said to me, there we go. That's why the he there is not capitalized because this is not Christ. This is a messenger of the Lord. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day, uh, this part, I have to read it out of, out of my iPad because I've got so much on this part, I can't even see the words anymore. I love this part. I pray this part. I, I meditate on this a lot right here, these words. Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand Oh, if New Life Ministries as individuals and a collective unit body of Christ would begin to set our heart to understand who God is and begin to see who Jesus is. And as he set his heart, look what the angel of the Lord says. And as you humbled yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I, have be- and I have come because of your words. Look what he's saying. I think some of us are even missing it as I read it. An angel from heaven has been sent by God, is accompanied by the incarnate person of Jesus, the word. Shows up. Jesus gives Daniel a little peekaboo of who he is. Daniel says, oh, my God, I can't take it. And he lays flat on his face, but yet he can still feel it. He's not looking anymore with his natural eye because he can't behold the beauty of Christ because he can say all it says is it's just this lovely heavenliness, graciousness, I don't know. 
He just falls down. And he says, if you're going to touch me, God, you have to strengthen me in order to lift me up. And so the messenger who accompanied Jesus starts having this dialogue and says, if I say Jacob, just understand it's not Jacob. I'm talking about Daniel here. He says, Daniel, from the first day that you begin to pray and set your heart toward God and humbled yourself to the Lord your God, Your prayers were heard in heaven, and God dispatched me because you prayed a prayer to fight the powers over Persia. Daniel, on day one, when you was feeling vexed and you were feeling perplexed, New life on day one when you started sensing a moving of the Spirit and you began to call yourself to prayer both in your house and in your corporate setting. From day one, your prayer was heard. And from day one, God of the universe dispatched some angels and said, because they have set their heart for me and they have humbled themselves in obedience to me, you, you 4,000 angels, go down now into the city of Kansas City, Come on now. into the district called Marlboro, and you begin to wage war. Why? Because somebody has set their heart toward me. I'm about to bring it home. Not home as in wrap it up. I still got nine minutes. But home as in so we can understand it. That's why when you come in, there's... Different things that you can, if, if you have discernment of spirit. Church, we always start at the same time. We haven't moved the location of our church. We haven't changed denominations. We haven't went occult. We're not burning incense. We're not playing with snakes. Nothing has changed. And yet, You can come to the same place at the same time on the same day, and you can be fighting against different principalities and powers of darkness. Some days you come in, and you're just like, whoosh. And you're like, whoo, I didn't even have to say, hello, God. It was just like, man, there he is. And you just start, that's when people usually start dancing, taking off, speaking in tongues. And it seems chaotic, but they're just having the joy of the Lord. They're just excited that, whoo, I didn't have to dig up this well. This was just the goodness of God, and he was just already here to meet me. And yet the very next Sunday, you come in, the same people, same day, same service, some of the same songs, and yet it's as if somebody give you a plastic spoon and said, dig up with this plastic spoon. And it's cracking, it's breaking, and you're like, what is going on? It's because we have to be aware of things that's happening in the spirit. And sometimes when we experience that, we will chalk it up and we'll be like, well, I guess God didn't want to do nothing this week. And we just just go about the routine of the thing. 
We sing our songs. We pray our prayers. We'd be like, okay, this, it's time to go to lunch. Let's go get some chicken. God really didn't want to move. No, most of the time God really does want to move. But we have to partner with him. God can move sovereignly. But the way he chooses to work is he partners with the believers here on earth. And he says, whatever you bind on earth, I'm going to bind in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, I'm going to loose that in heaven. And that's why a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months now, what seemed like an ordinary service and what seemed like Nothing really big is happening, but yet we were contending in prayer, yet we were contending in worship, and the worship was going up, prayers were going up, and we had laid a foundation of intercession on Wednesday night. God sends an angel over this area and begins to fight the battles, and I'm going to, at some point, I'm going to show you the battles we fight in Ephesians 6. But the battles begin to, or the angels begin to wage war in the heavenlies. Because principalities have uh, the okay to rule over families, over cities, and over nations. And as believers, we cannot cast them out. We can only displace them. I'm giving y'all some knowledge here. Now, demons, we can, if he, if, listen. If he all of a sudden started hissing like a snake and barking like a dog, I could look at him and say, oh, no, devil. And I have the authority to cast him out. Because demons can be cast out. Principalities, on the other hand, cannot be cast out. They have to be displaced. And the way you displace them is through intercession and prayer and, and proclaiming the Bible and fasting and intercession. And on the first day, Daniel... I heard your cries, I heard your weeping, I heard your grieving, I heard your wailing. And I sent the archangel to wage war against the prince of Persia. And you didn't see it, and you didn't know it, but they were fighting. And now, I've just left that prince of Persia for a moment to come down and tell you, Here's the answer. And you read the rest of 10 and the rest of 11. And that angel of the Lord gives Daniel the answer to what he's been praying for. Daniel is writing it all down and we're, we're, we get to read about it. And he even tells Daniel, he said, I had to fight the principality of Persia to get to you the answer. But your answer was delivered or was sent on day one. But Daniel didn't get it until day 24. It's where we get the whole Daniel fast, the 21-day Daniel fast. And I don't know why we call it a fast because it's not a fast. Because fasting means you go without food. But what it was was a moment of consecration unto the Lord. 
And he said, I'm consecrating myself. And even after the 21 days, he didn't get the answer. It wasn't until the 24th day that he got the answer, and he had this encounter. And the angel of the Lord comes and gives Daniel the answer. And then something, you read it at home later on. Something remarkable happens, like around verse 20, I think it is. And he says, now, as I leave you, I must go back now. And now I had to fight the prince of the power, the principality of Persia to get to you. But now I have to go fight the principality of Greece. Because you can't cast out a principality. You can only displace them. But when that displacement happens through prayer and intercession and decreeing and declaring the Bible, and God sends angels to fight against those principalities and those powers in the airways, what happens is that's when we call an open heaven. Because now we're no longer fighting against evil and darkness. Now we have an open heaven. And when you have an open heaven, salvation is released. And miracles are released. That's why, y'all thought I forgot about this part of the story, didn't you? That's why a few, about a month ago or so, a couple months ago now, that it seemed like an ordinary Sunday. And we was doing an ordinary thing. We was preaching and certainly we felt God. But it wasn't nothing out of the ordinary. It wasn't nothing unusual. The house wasn't on fire. People wasn't prophesying and all these things happening. But somebody was pressing. And we was pushing. And we was asking God for an open heaven to the point where my friend comes down here, prostrates himself on the floor. Pastor Tim is over here just warring in the spirit. It didn't look like much to the natural eye. It didn't feel like much to the natural soul. But there was an open heaven. And God was bringing about deliverance to the place where when he gets up, his countenance was changed. I was talking to him back there, him and Brianna. I was like, I'm sorry I'm staring. I said, I'm sorry I'm staring, but you look so different. Like you have a sparkle in your eye now. You have a cleanness look to you. Like nothing had changed. He was in his same clothes. He was nothing had changed. But there was a clean look to him. There was a sparkle in his eye. Why? Because he was flushing stuff down the toilet. We got pictures. He had went out to his car and had a whole handful of stuff, flushing things down the toilet, giving me things in my pocket. So I just put it in my pocket. I forgot about it. And the whole, I went out to my car. I was about to get in my car, and the Holy Ghost said, you might want to throw that away. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. I could just see headline news. Pastor of New Life gets thrown in the clink. Because <laughs> she's carrying her. She's distributing things in the neighborhood. Anyway, that's called an open heaven. When stuff like that begins to happen, I'm telling you, We've stirred something up. David, or Daniel, your prayer was answered. When? When you set your face toward the Lord. When you set your face toward the Lord. 
when you humbled yourself. When you humbled yourself. Let me just quickly read a couple of verses in the New Testament. Understand, the enemy is definitely after your soul. But if he can't get your soul, if he understands the battle against their soul, he concedes to. And he says, listen, if they want to be a part of the body of Christ, just let them be a part of the body of Christ. It's not going to bother me. So it's not that he's not after your soul. He is after your soul. But he will concede your soul if he can take your authority. He don't care if when you die you go to heaven as long as you don't walk in authority here on earth. He don't care if you're a church goer. He doesn't ma- it doesn't matter to him if you're a church goer or not as long as you don't walk in authority. It's when you begin to acknowledge that you have authority in the blood of Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross. It's when you begin to understand and know that and equip yourself with that. That's when he starts coming. You know why he wants authority? Because he doesn't have authority. And he tried to usurp authority in heaven and got kicked out of heaven. And the only way he does have authority is when it's given over. He took Adam's authority Jesus came back and bought it back with his cross and the blood and the resurrection. He bought it back. But look, look what Jesus says then. Put up, put up Luke uh, 10, 18, 19, and 20. I just want to read a few, few scriptures in the New Testament so that you understand. And then we're going to wrap and we're going to be done. Look what it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan, this is he, this is Jesus speaking. I saw Satan fall like lightning from the heaven. What happened in heaven? Satan fell. Everybody say, he fell. He fell. fell. That's important. He fell. And behold, I give you, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by shall any means hurt you. Verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words, when you walk in authority, you don't have to show your authority. You are rejoicing that you are on your way to heaven. You are rejoicing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You are rejoicing that you are a part of the body of Christ. And in that joy... You are going to come across some demonic powers and principalities and strongholds. But don't worry. I've given you authority over all of that. It doesn't have to get weird. It doesn't have to get flaky. Tim and I don't walk around our house with a bottle of oil slinging it everywhere. That would be weird. However, there have been times that something has tried to come in our house, usually through people we have invited. And then it tried to make its home there. Even then, we didn't get out and start hanging Christian flags everywhere and throwing oil everywhere and waving hankies everywhere. No. We, was, we had been rejoicing in the fact that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when we notice something, something is off. Something, what is happening? 
you just like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I have been given authority over this spirit. I have been given authority over this principality, and you are not to cross the bloodline of my home. Listen, and the enemy knows when you know if you have authority or not. You can, in the natural, let me give you something in the natural. You can have a Mack truck barreling at 70 miles an hour down a street, down a highway, down a road. And you have one officer with a teeny tiny badge in a certain uniform, maybe with a gun on, his, on their hip, man or woman. And they stand out like this and just do this. They don't have the strength in themselves to stop that Mack truck. If the Mack truck is psychotic, he could just plow over the officer. But there's something about the badge. And there's something about the uniform. That it's not the man's strength. The man doesn't have to do cartwheels. The woman doesn't have to scream and shout and lose her mind. She just has to have the badge. And she just has to have the uniform on. If she comes out without the badge... Or if he comes out without the uniform and just does this, the Mack truck's going to go whoosh because they can't stop it. There's something about the badge and there's something about the uniform that they recognize that that's not just a person there. That's the authority of the city. That's the authority of the state. That's the authority of the entire U.S. Army. And they put on their brakes and they come to a halt because somebody does this. That's equivalent to how you and I can operate in the spirit when you understand the authority of what Christ gives you. You can't do it within yourself. But when you have the righteousness of Christ on and when you have the badge of the Holy Spirit, There's a scripture, I believe it's in the Old Testament, that says that he set his seal upon you like a seal upon your heart and a seal upon your arm. That's the badge of the Holy Ghost. And when you know you have authority, you don't have to push it. You don't have to press it. You don't have to flaunt it. You don't have to look for nothing. You are just in a humbleness of spirit rejoicing because of who God is and Jesus, your Savior. But when you encounter whatever we've stirred up, you can just begin to fast and pray and say, I rebuke you, and you just hold up your hand. And the enemy knows whether you have authority or not. And because he doesn't have authority, he looks for, hold on. The enemy doesn't have authority. So to get authority, what he does is he looks for weak Christians to take their authority. That's the way he gets authority. But the ecclesia was meant to be a governing body of authority in the spirit. There's another scripture that says that Satan is the prince and the power of the airways. That's why it's important Praise and worship goes forth out of your mouth. That's why it's important that intercession comes out of your mouth. It doesn't always have to be boisterous, but it does have to be verbal because you are combating that airway, that prince of the power of the airways. 
God hears you when you set your heart. Start something back there for me, guys. Do that start a fire in my heart. I liked that one. Stand with me.